Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Secrets, Shame, and Looking Stupid. Anybody love looking stupid? Um, never a lot of people that are just like, top five favorite experiences, looking like an idiot. Um, I remember when I was back in college, uh, my freshman, sophomore year, it was like the rise of this uh, sport that I'd never heard of before, but it seemed like everyone was playing it. And uh, I avoided it for a long time. Finally, my friends were like, you should come and be a part of this, something called Ultimate Frisbee. Anybody ever played this game before, Ultimate Frisbee? Uh, it's, it's very fun. And, um, and so I went out, it was my first time. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how it worked. And this was the setup they gave me. They were just like, it's real simple. Uh, it's basically football, but with a Frisbee. And I was like, easy, that's easy enough. I, I understand how that works. And they're like, do you need any more information? And I'm like, I don't think so. I feel like I've got it. I had a couple questions but they seemed like they were really excited to get the game going. And I didn't want to be the guy who was just like, let me slow this down by asking you 75 questions and being annoying, right? And so I'm just like, yeah, I feel like I got it. I know what football is. I know the basic rules, football with a Frisbee. So we all line up. It's the teams are chosen. Everything's ready to go. The thing that they failed to mention to me, and I did not ask about is, it's not exactly like football with a Frisbee because in Ultimate Frisbee, there is no tackling. <laughs> and they did not say that off the bat. And so in my head, I'm like, football, but with a Frisbee. And I line up with these guys. And just to let you know what caliber of people we're dealing with, this is at seminary, okay? So these are not like the cream of the crop athletic types, okay? If you picture the types of people that you would assume would, you know, right out of high school would be like, I would like to go to a seminary, right? And you're probably picturing like sort of scrawny people with glasses and, and uh, you're like, what are you doing this weekend? They're like, I'm going to read a book in German. You know what I mean? It's like that sort of a thing. <laughs> it's these people. And I'm lined up across from them and uh, like I'm in charge of guarding this specific guy. And, uh, and so... <laughs> They like, they like, okay, they, they call it, we, everybody's running around and I'm guarding this guy and he breaks away from me because he's uh, faster than me and thinner. And so he gets away from me and he goes up like, much like this shot and he catches the Frisbee and he turns to run and like my job I, is to stop him as, as far as I understand it. And so I'm running as fast as I can and I don't understand that the rule is just touching him. He doesn't understand that I don't understand the rules either. And so he's just kind of like, you know, gonna take a few strides. I can see the fear in his face though. He's like, you know, like he's looking at me like he's gonna slow down and just like two hand touch me. And then I'm just kind of like, why is this guy slowing down? You know, we're both kind of looking at each other like, I don't know if we both think what is happening is happening, you know? And I, I just plow into this guy. I hit him so hard that it, ticks, it takes his legs out from him. He flips over completely and lands on his shoulder. And we can all hear like a, you know. And then he's just laying there in a heap. And like 
some of you are like, oh, I didn't know I did a bad thing. And so I pop up and I'm like, hey! <coughs> no one else is excited. Everyone's like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's like football with the Frisbee. That's what you said. You said football with the Frisbee, like not tackling, not the tackling part. And I'm like, that would have been information to share with me before we started this whole thing. And the guy he doesn't want to admit is hurt. he's hurt. This is all guys. So he gets up and he's just like, I'm good. And he like played the rest of the game with a dead arm. And he died later that, no, I'm just kidding. That would be, what a horrible way to end that story. He ended up being okay, but it was just like, it was very embarrassing. It was very embarrassing. And I, I'm pretty sure I heard him pretty bad because I don't know if you guys noticed, I'm a fairly large man. Um, and if I hit you at a high speed, that is not gonna feel good, um, especially when you were small like him. And I didn't ask like what the rules were because I didn't wanna take up time. I didn't wanna look stupid. I didn't wanna admit that I didn't know how the game that apparently everyone in the entire world uh, was playing at this time that I wasn't clued in on. I didn't want to look dumb. And so I just didn't ask. And because I didn't ask, I looked very dumb. <laughs> it did kind of work though, because like I could guard anyone. They were all so afraid of me. <laughs> so in some ways, psychologically. But I, I think you've been at this place in your life at some point, right? And I think the reason why we don't want to admit we don't know what's going on, whether we have this problem that we don't know how to solve or something we don't understand how to do or something that we need help with, the reason we don't want to admit it is because we don't want to look stupid and we don't want to make a mess of things. And crazily, just like me, because we don't ask for help, we end up looking stupid and making a mess of things. And some things are way higher stakes than others, right? Some things that we are dealing with in our lives is not just sort of the rules of a game or sort of the, the social constructs of a situation where you're like, what if I don't do the right thing or know what's you know, acceptable in this situation? Some of the things are things that we're struggling with behind the scenes that we don't want to admit to or ask for help for because the, the stakes are higher and the stigma attached to them is big. And sadly, the more you think, like, someone like me could never admit to something like that, the worse uh, things get for you. Because the more pressure you feel to tackle that thing on your own, and the less likely it is that you ever will be able to do just that. And I, I think a lot of us, we reach this place where we realize we have a problem with something, but we, we, we don't want anybody else to know we have a problem. And we definitely don't want them to know what that problem is. And so we find ourselves trying to attempt to deal with it on our own, but that's not working. And it just keeps getting worse. AA has this, uh, this, this famous saying that is, you're only as sick as your secrets. In other words, that like whatever it is you're going with, like covering it up, hiding it away, keeping it to yourself, only makes it and you worse. You're always better off to come clean. And early Christianity had this saying, as found in James chapter 5, verse 16, was something the, the brother of Jesus said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And both of these two concepts mirror one another. Really, the, the same sentiment is true and is linked about both of these things. Uh, this idea that, that self-destruction can thrive in solitude, but recovery always requires community. Uh, 
In the 12-step program, step number five is to admit to God, yourself, and another human being the exact nature of your wrongs. And is there anything less we want to do? Like, we're just like, okay, what are the other steps? Like, can we just skip over that one? Is this something I could just deal with on my own? Because there's all sorts of shame that surrounds admitting what it is we're really dealing with below the surface. And in fact, I think there are actually four core fears that prevent us from doing what James or AA invite us to do to become free of our addictions. And that's what I wanna unpack today are the things that really prevent us from confessing what's going on with us so that we can receive the healing that God wants for us. And I want to do so by looking at a story from the Old Testament. Uh, maybe you've never heard this story before. It's from 2 Kings chapter 5. And it's the story of this guy with a pretty significant secret. And he realizes that getting better means pushing through and overcoming all four fears connected to confession. And it starts in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1. And this is what it says. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because the Lord had given him great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. So right out of the gate, we are told about this person who projects this image of a mighty warrior, but below the surface, he has a secret, leprosy. And leprosy essentially is this disease that deadens your pain sensors so that you can't actually feel any physical pain, uh, which may sound like a good thing, but actually ends up being a very bad thing because it means that you can get severely injured, external or internal injuries, and you have no idea that it's happened to you. And so you just keep going and keep pushing through and you begin to get worse and worse and worse. Most people with leprosy, especially during this time in history when there's no treatments for it, um, they die not of leprosy, but of other injuries they don't know they have because they're covering up those injuries with this pain-deadening disease. And so this guy, when he was out doing what he did best, he seemed invincible. He was an incredible warrior, but when he came back home and his armor came off, it uncovered this issue that he'd been trying to ignore. And the reason I bring this up is I think that we all have things that we'd rather people not see. If anybody knew that Naaman had leprosy, it could be the end of his career. It was contagious. People were afraid of it. Definitely nobody would trust a warrior with it. And I think a lot of us do the same thing. We have things that we hide from the rest of the world. We aim everybody else's attention at our surface strengths so that they never see the severity of what's happening with us below the surface. And you may not be a great warrior, but I'll tell you this, everybody has armor. And I wonder what yours is. Like, what is it that you cover up with to hide what you don't want to deal with? What is, it, what is it that makes you sort of think in your own life, as long as I keep doing this thing right here, no one will pay attention to that over there. But the problem is, unfortunately, that's starting to get in the way of this. 
And also at the same time, I don't know how to do this without using that. It feels like I'm trapped, and, and you are. You're an addict. So for this guy, um, it's putting on armor and rushing off to war. Maybe for you, it's slapping on a smile. It's driving hard at work and hitting your sales goals. It's getting good grades at school. Maybe it's, it's keeping everything looking pretty on Instagram or being seen as in shape or stylish, all the while you're heart hiding all of this hurt within. You're trying to get people to look out here so they won't pay attention to what's going on over here. And that's what's happening in this story. It says in verse 2 that among Naaman's captives was a young girl who had been given to his wife as a maid. And one day the girl said, I wish Naaman would go see the prophet Elisha. He would heal him of his leprosy. Which brings up, I think, a question right out the gate. If he'd been able to hide this thing from almost everybody, how did she know? And the real answer is because she lived with him. And this is the reality is, the people who are close to us usually know what's going on with us even when we don't want them to. This is what gets so annoying when your kids learn how to talk <laughs> because they sell you out. You're like, oh, I can't wait for them to talk. And then they tell your secrets to everyone. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're at the grocery store and they're like, sometimes my dad walks around in his underwear. And you're like, okay, we don't need to talk about that. I didn't even know you were old enough to make memories, but um, you're not going to be able to erase that one. Sorry. Some confessions don't come in the form of what you say, but what you allow people to see. And there is something about her that made him feel like he could take off his armor around her. And this is, a, I think, in a lot of ways, a spiritual gift. Being the sort of person that other people feel like they can be open and honest and real with without judgment. The, the word confession, I think, makes us nervous because we assume that it means telling everyone everything. But uh, that's not good, or even biblical. Confession doesn't mean telling everyone, okay? It means coming clean to a couple safe someones. And you need these people in your life. But even sharing with people that you feel safe with can make you nervous. And uh, here is the, the first, of, I think, of four reasons for that. The, con the first confession fear or fear we have around confession is this. Um, I'm afraid that you'll agree I have an issue, I don't want to confess to you because I'm afraid that you'll be like, yeah, that is a problem. You know what I want to hear when I tell someone like, man, I think I have an issue. I want them to say, no, you don't. No, you're doing great. You're doing fine. It's not that big a deal. It's all in your head. I call this the do I look fat in these jeans paradox, okay? <laughs> you don't want to know. You don't want the real answer. You want reassurance, even if it's a lie. And I think oftentimes this is the reason why we don't want to confess out the gate, right? Because if I tell you like, oh, gosh, I think this is going on with me, what if you say, oh, finally, you can see it too? I, I don't want that. I'm nervous about that. And this servant girl in this story kind of does that. I mean, she's kind and honest at the same time. Some of us are confused. We think that that's not possible, but it is. She's like, man, I, here's the thing. I'm glad you said it out loud because I agree that that is a problem. 
I understand why you've been covering it up. And also, I think I, I might know where you can find help for it, which is a brave thing for her to do because she would have been a really easy person to ignore. She is a servant girl captured from another place. She just works in his home. He, like, she has no real authority in his life. She's just someone who knows him well. She can tell that he's suffering and she cares about him deeply. And I, I, I think it's tough when someone in our life is willing to engage with us about what's really going on with us. I think it's easy to ignore something that you don't want to hear, especially when it comes from someone you don't want to hear it from. And he wouldn't have wanted to hear it from her. But oftentimes the help that we need most is where we're least willing to look. Have you noticed this about your life? You're just like, man, I wish somebody would help me out with this thing. And people are like, well, actually, somebody in your life is actually an expert on that. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to go talk to them. That's not, no. <laughs> no, we are not involving my mom in this. I'm not going to my brother-in-law. That weird guy at the, no, I'm not going to, no, no. I'll accept help from anywhere except for there. I think oftentimes God is like, I don't know what to tell you. That's where it's at. I conveniently located it in someone that you know. And you're like, I know, but can't you pick a different person? And I wonder what that place is for you, who that person is for you. So Naaman's credit in this story, like he actually does listen to her. He takes her seriously. And he acts on what she tells him. It says this in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 4. So Naaman went and told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. So this is essentially his second confession, the second time he's telling somebody what's really going on with him. He tells the king, who's essentially his boss, but he just gives him the basic facts, right? He doesn't tell him how he feels about it. He doesn't tell him what he thinks about it. He doesn't share any of his fears surrounding it. He doesn't even tell him if he agrees with the girl. He just sort of like presents the situation and then waits for a reaction. And I wonder if you've ever shared something with someone before, but you weren't quite sure how you wanted them to react. You shared it and uh, someone was like, what do you want them to do? And you're like, I don't know. And you really didn't know, right? Part of you wants them to say like, that's not an issue. Okay, maybe it is. Maybe it is an issue, but you know what? You've got, you've got other responsibilities, so that thing's gonna have to wait. And, and that response looks appealing to us because it lets us off the hook. And that might be nice to not have to deal with this right now. But another part of you kind of wants that person to say like, whoa, this is a big deal. How can I help you prioritize addressing this right now? Which is supportive. But the reason we kind of don't want that response is that it means that we've got to take this issue seriously. And that's probably going to require you to rearrange your life. Which brings us to the second fear we have surrounding confession, which is this. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to rearrange my plans and my priorities. I'm afraid that if I actually come clean about this, that dealing with it is going to require me to rearrange my life and I don't wanna have to do that, especially right now. But unfortunately, there is no way to change your life without changing your life. Isn't that annoying? You're like, God, can't you just do some sort of a magic trick where I don't really have to try or do anything different and I'm just like, better tomorrow. And God's like, mm, I could, but that doesn't really help you. So no. For Naaman to get better, 
he had to take time off work. And for some of us, we're just like, oh, okay, take time off work. But he, his job was a general, the main general in an army at war. A crucial war. And he goes to his boss and is just like, I'm not doing good. Uh, I'm going to need like a couple months just to like figure some stuff out. Man, that's, that's a big decision to make. It's an inconvenient time for him and everybody else to make this decision. I think like we find ourselves in the same place. Like we don't want to have to take time away from something that we like and are good at to admit to and address something we don't like about ourselves and are not good at. So most of us just don't do it. We tell ourselves things like, well, I don't, I don't want to have to stop eating this way in order to get healthy. I don't want to have to do, I don't want to have to eliminate this from my schedule in order to get more sleep because I don't want to have to tell people no or back out of things. I don't want to have to spend less on this thing that I really like investing in in order to get out of debt. Like, I don't want to have to make new friends in order to avoid getting caught up in the same issue over and over and over again. And yet, despite his fear around this, he confesses to the king. And the king, interestingly, tells Naaman, like, dealing with this issue, it ought to take precedence over everything else that's going on in your life right now, including your job and the goals we have together. Wow, that's a great boss. Especially, you know, for an evil pagan king. But he treated his employees well, and I think we can't overlook that. The story goes on to say this in chapter five, verse nine. So Naaman went to the prophet's house and he sent a messenger to tell Naaman, go and wash seven times in the Jordan River and then you'll be healed of your leprosy. And Naaman became angry and stalked away. You ever stalked away? Angry stalking, by the way, not an uncommon reaction to someone else's disappointing response to your confession. Because it's hard enough to humble yourself and actually ask for help. And then, in his situation, the expert Naaman goes to telling that his healing is contingent upon him doing something he doesn't want to do. What is that thing? He is going to have to take off his clothes in public and bathe in the Jordan River. Which, the thing that maybe you don't know, that these people understand at this time in history is... That river was essentially the sewage runoff for the entire region. So basically the prophet tells him, you want to get better, get naked and go take a bath in the river of poo. <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to do that. Why doesn't he want to do that? It's not actually a hard thing to do. It's not that it's difficult it's something else that holds him back. And I think it's the, the, the third fear that we have around confession is we don't want to tell people what's going on with us because I'm afraid I'll have to do something embarrassing or uncomfortable to get better. We're like, I want to get better as long as I don't have to do anything I don't want to do to get better. Anybody else think like this? Just me? But often the thing that you most need to do is the thing you least want to do. And sometimes that thing is bathing in a river of poo. Hopefully that's not what God challenges you to do. <laughs> Although for some of us, the difficult things that God has 
pushed us to do to get better, we're like, I'll take the river of poo. This is way more difficult than that. And I, I wonder if you've noticed this about yourself, that these things that you least want to do it, it keep arising as the thing that God is just like, you want to get better? Do this. And we're like, no. No, I don't want to go to counseling with my wife. I, I don't need to join a recovery program. No, that's, I don't want to do that. I don't need to be part of a growth group. That's going to be weird. I don't need to implement that stupid habit. That's beneath me. Besides, I tried that before for two days in 2005, and it didn't work. And we just die on these hills of, I refuse to do the one thing that's going to help me get where I want to go, which is why a lot of us stay trapped, because all healing requires humility. And oftentimes, it's the one price we don't want to pay. I don't want to have to humble myself in order to get better. If it's uncomfortable or embarrassing, no thanks. Not for me. Is there another way? And oftentimes, there's not. And we get mad, and so does Naaman. In fact, he rants about it. Here's his rant. It's awesome. Uh, verse 11. I thought... The prophet would certainly come out to meet me. He didn't. He sent an intern, by the way. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on his God and heal me. The rivers in Damascus, where I'm from, are better than the rivers of Israel. Less poop in them. Why can't I wash in them? You ever bargain with God this way? God, can you heal me? And God's like, yes, why don't you do this? And you're like, okay. Or... What if we just, uh, we tweak it a little bit and maybe we do this version and he's just like, no, we're going to do it this way. And you're like, okay, but uh, what, why? Because can't we just do this? And God's like, do you want my help or not? And you're like, yes, kind of, but can we just do my version of your help? Because here's the reality. N Naaman doesn't just want to be healed. He wants to be healed his way. And I think that's the way a lot of us are too. I think a lot of us throw these same sort of fits with God. I find it interesting, but when we get to the New Testament, Jesus heals a lot of people. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but like Jesus constantly asks people, what do you want me to do for you? Like Jesus genuinely wanted to help people in the way they wanted and needed help. But you know what he never asked people as a follow-up question? And how did you want me to do that? And you know why he didn't ask that question? Not interested in the answer. Because if you had the ability to design your own healing plan, you would have healed yourself. And it wouldn't have required the main ingredient, humility. Naaman doesn't want to do this. Naaman didn't want to work with God. He wanted God to work for him. And I think a lot of us find ourselves in the same exact place. We, we don't just want to be healed. We want to be healed our way. Right? We, we don't want to work with God. We want God to work for us. God, I'm the boss. You're the employee. I mean, it sounds so condescending, and there's a reason for that. It is. And yet a lot of us order God around, like, to try and do the things or, or, or that we think it, he ought to do the way we think we ought to do it. And God is just like, I don't think you understand how this relationship works. 
Naaman wants God to solve the problem, but God wants him to be a part of his own solution. And this problem wasn't just affecting him, like his family, his community needed him to be well. An entire nation needs him to be well so that he can lead them as a high-level military strategist. And his response to the prophet saying like, I can guarantee healing, here's what it's gonna require. Naaman's response out of anger and pride is, I'd rather die and let my whole community be destroyed than have to humble myself in order to be healed. Wow. And here's why I bring that up. Maybe you've never thought about this before. I wonder who else around you is suffering because of your pride. Because you don't want to humble yourself and do what it takes to get better. Everyone around you is getting worse. In verse 13, his friends are with him, and this is sort of the fourth confession here. His officers are there listening to this exchange between him and the prophet. His officers tried to reason with him and said, if the prophet would have told you to do something very difficult, you would have done it. Basically, he's saying, like, you're a warrior. You're not afraid of hard work. If he was just like, go slay 10,000 people, you'd have been like, I got it. But, you know, he asked you to do something embarrassing, and so you're not going to do that. So you should certainly obey him when he simply says, go and wash and be cured. Don't you hate it when your friends and family are just like, is it really that big a deal? Just do it, man. And you're like, but I don't want to. Right? And we kind of throw a fit. People make fun of me. And Naaman's friends, I think, are demonstrating the fourth fear we have about confession. We don't want to tell people what's going on with us because I'm afraid you'll hold me accountable. Like, if you don't have a, a pattern of addiction or you haven't become aware of your own pattern of addiction, let me just tell you how addicts think. This is how addicts think. I want to get better, and I want you to help me get better by keeping me away from this thing that I keep doing, except for the times that I still want to do it. And then I want you to leave me alone. And then when I do it because you left me alone, I will blame you and do it more to cope with the fact that you didn't do your job. We're terrible. And Naaman's friends step into this moment and they're reminding him not to let his short-term emotions sabotage his long-term goals. He's so angry and frustrated and embarrassed in the moment that he's willing to throw the rest of his life away. And we need the same thing in our life. We need good people in our life who will remind us when we are just sort of spinning out not to let our short-term emotions sabotage our long-term goals because we all have this tendency to want to do that. And not only do they remind them of this, they're like, listen, we'll go with you. We know you don't want to do it. Like, let us come with you and be, we can't do it for you, but we can come with you. We can be moral support. We can stand there alongside you and let you know that we're with and for you. It says this in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 14, that Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. And it was probably the hardest thing he ever did. 
humbling himself in this way. And he would have never done it without help. And the same thing is true for you. There are certain things, probably the deepest things about you that you need healing from, that you need to recover from, that you need to let go of and walk in the other direction of. Those things are going to require the help of other people. But no one can help you if they don't know the details of what's going on with you. But we don't want to involve other people. These four fears prevent us from being honest. And so we tell ourselves things like, you know what? I'm just going to pray and ask for God's help. It's just going to be between me and him. These other people don't need to know. You know what? Here's the thing. I will tell them. After I'm on the other side of it and I'm doing better and I can like point back to it and just be like, you know, I used to struggle with this, but I'm good now. Because if I tell them there's a chance they're going to judge me. Um, but if I just tell God, he'll, he'll forgive me. And part of this is, is, is true. Right? God will forgive you. But there's a glitch with that. Most of us are after more than just forgiveness. We want healing and wholeness. And James, the brother of Jesus, after watching Jesus' ministry, is like, let me tell you, I've seen so many people be healed of things I never thought they would be healed from, break free from addictions I never thought that they would break free from. And the thing that I found in common with them all is that it requires confession. And here's what he really means by that. What you keep hidden from others, God won't heal in you. Whatever you keep hidden from others, God won't heal in you. And it's not because he doesn't want to. In fact, Jesus said that he came to give you a rich and satisfying life, life to the full. But that will require you to face what you've been avoiding and confess. And when you do, you will receive everything that you feared, only the upside of these things that you've been avoiding. People graciously agreeing, yeah, you do have a problem. People helping you adjust your priorities. People taking uncomfortable action alongside you so you can transform your life. And people holding you accountable to something you wouldn't do unless somebody else knew. So here's what I want you to do this week. And some of you are like, oh, I can tell this is going to be uncomfortable. And you're, you're right. I want to encourage you to write down, like uh, grab a piece of paper or something, write down what you've been doing and the damage it's done to you and others. Take your time on this. This is what I've been up to. This is what I've been thinking. This is the thing I've been using. This is the, this is the thing that I've, I've, I've sort of, man, I've leaned on that to make myself feel better and it's really just making me worse. And then I want you to choose someone from your spiritual community to read your confession to and ask for help. And I know you feel like I can't do that. It's too shameful. Someone like me would never be able to admit to something like that. And that thought will keep you trapped until the day you push past it. And the truth is you you can do this thing that you tell yourself you can't. And, And in fact, there's a verse in the New Testament that gives us this reason why. Last week we read this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the first verse, which has kind of been like a theme passage for this series in my mind, where it says that we should throw off all of the, the weight that slows us down, including the sin that, that trips us up and entangled us, and run 
the race that God has set out for us. And then it goes on to say this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Think of all the hostility he endured, and then you won't become weary and give up yourself. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And here's what I think is interesting about this. Jesus had to bring others in on the process of defeating sin as well. Because Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything that he isn't willing to go first and do. The difference is the sin that he had to suffer for was ours, not his. And that suffering, that life-transforming public, like everyone knows and sees everything moment, it wasn't private. Everybody got to see it. But the thought of what was waiting on the other side of it is what allowed him to push through. It says that the reason why Jesus was able to do these difficult things that he didn't want to do in order to transform the lives of humanity is because he was thinking about us when he did it. And I would imagine that, that this was part of what motivated Naaman to push through the seven dunks in the river he didn't even want to walk near. Picturing the joy that he stood to claim ahead when he was able after this humbling process to go back to his family and be healed. To go back to his family as the best version of himself, his wife, his kids, his coworkers, his boss, his community. He's like, you know what? I can suffer through this because of what I stand to gain if I do. It's his focus, not on the difficulty of the moment, but on the gift of the future when he presses through to the other side. This is a Jesus tactic. And the author also says here that like, you've not yet given your life for your struggle. In, in other words, he's trying to tell us something that we doubt is true. And I, I think what he's trying to tell us is bringing others in on your struggle won't kill you. You think it's going to. If I tell people my life is over, and yet this passage is saying bringing others in on your struggle won't kill you, but you know what it will kill? Your secret. Your secret will die that day. And the death of your secret is the beginning of a new kind of life because it means that you have access to the one thing that you need in addition to God and your willingness to move forward. You need the support of other people, of people who love you, of people who see your potential, of people who want the best for you, of people who believe you can battle through this and make it to the other side. Confession kickstarts the process of healing that only comes from partnering with other people. And this is why God pushes us to do it over and over and over again in scripture. And unlike all the movies portray, confession is in this moment of sitting like in a little sterile box and telling a priest like, oh, I did this, this, and this. It, it looks more like sitting in a small circle of people that you trust and saying, 
My name is Adam and I have a problem. I need help. It's overtaking me. I wanna be better, I'm called to be better. There's a lot at stake because there's a lot of people I love who are suffering as a result of my suffering. I can't do it on my own. I need help. I need you to know because I need you to walk with me so I can get more than just forgiveness. I can get the freedom on the other side of allowing God to piece my life back together. And some of us, so many things have wreaked havoc in our story. And maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, but maybe it's just, maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's depression, maybe it's caffeine addiction, maybe it's the approval of other people, maybe it's the inability to say no to something that you don't wanna do but feel obligated to. I don't know what that thing is for you, but I do know that confession is essential to healing. And I wanna pray that today would be the day that like Naaman, you humble yourself and get the first taste of healing. So we're gonna pass this mic around, just let everyone tell their deepest, darkest secret. I'm gonna start right here. No, I'm just kidding. Some people are like, I will never come back to this church again. <laughs> now I wanna just pray for you. And um, my prayer is that you will find someone this week that you can be real with who will help you take steps forward. Would you bow your heads across this room as we pray? God, we um, just acknowledge to you this morning that we have a, a deep need for you. We all have things going on in our lives. We have certain things that we realize are a problem. We've realized that it's not good for us. We realize that we are losing the battle against it. We just don't wanna bring anybody else in on it. And we wanna just deal with it, us and you. And yet today, I think you're trying to remind all of us that the way you heal us is in partnership with other people. And God, I pray that you would bring to our mind, whether it's somebody in our small group, whether it's somebody in our rooted group, whether it's uh, a pastor, whether it's a, um, one of our volunteer leads, whether it's somebody in the I said yes or prayer corner, whether it's a good friend that we know and trust. God, I pray that this week you would give us the courage to actually admit what's tripping us up so that we can begin to move forward. God, you want to give us a rich and satisfying life. And for many of us, we know exactly what is in the way and what stands between us and the next step is this fifth step of recovery to make known to you, God, to ourselves and to other human beings, exact nature of our wrongs, to say, this is what I have done. I need help. May we do this. And as we do what only we can do, may you do the thing that only you can do. And bring us healing in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.